anyway, we're so glad that you all are here. You got in under the registration line, you know, and all of you who are on the wait list, we want you to know, we'll put you to the head of the class for next week if you let us know that you didn't make it in. And um, we're really grateful that, you know, there are people on YouTube today and that will be there later. There are people right on the website. There are people on um, our Facebook. And it's just a weird way to be a community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I was talking to the Shockey girls today. They're glad to be back in school and see a, ta a teacher face-to-face, -face, right, even if it is only from here up. And, and so our reality is there are so many ways for us to practice connection during this time that are just weird. And, and, and they can be wonderful if we allow them to be. Amen? Come on, let's everybody, amen. As Kid President would say, you know, find a way to be awesome. And so, so you know, as you know, Tanaka tried to glam up several people that were wearing, you know, the, the other mask that wasn't looking so good. So she gave us some rhinestones. Um, and, and I want to say there's ways to connect. There are ways to connect, all the ways. I saw this week that some folks um, reached out to one of our, our young people that turned 30, uh, Kristen Sharpley, and, and knew that she was going to be by herself while her mom was um, at, a, at a memorial service for her mom. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people showed up with, with ways to connect, like candles and, and bath salts and you know, I mean, there are ways to connect that aren't the, the regular way we do it, but we can do it, right? And I bet they probably ordered a couple of flowers from the harvester. I mean, someday when I grow up, I'm going to order people flowers. It, I, I just appreciate people who that's like instinctual for them, that they, that they order flowers. I can't even, I mean, I can grow dandelions, but the, the growing flowers thing is, you know, leave it up to the experts like Amy. So I, I just want to say, you know, we are, uh, we are learning how to connect. And one of the things that we wanted to do during this series is help us connect the person of Christ from before Genesis to beyond Revelation for all of us. That, you know, there are many people that have used the Bible as a weapon against one another during these days. I know you haven't seen any of that. But um, so we wanted, we said, how about we study the whole Bible? like the major themes of the Bible, and help people find the true Christ from before Genesis through and beyond Revelation. Does that sound good? So that we can connect with the major themes of the Bible rather than the way we can fight with one another over this and that and the other. And so here we are. This is connection, Jesus Christ and the Bible. And look at what Stacy did for us. So she's trying to give us a picture of the world from the birth of Christ through the Scripture the cross, and then the family of God at the end. So, you know, there are just ways for all of us to realize that we are not alone in the story. Amen? So look at the people. Give someone the sign of peace. Go ahead. Say, peace be with you all week long. Let the peace of God be with you. Amen? Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so this morning, have you ever asked the question, why isn't everyone a Christian? Like, if Christianity is that amazing, why doesn't everybody connect those dots? In Mark chapter 2, Jesus said this in verse 21. He said, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine 
will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. You know, um, some of you may have noticed that we are in a crisis, and maybe uh, a faith crisis in the world, and certainly a faith crisis in the United States. Pew Research, which is like one of the most highly regarded research firms when it comes to studying the church, um, they have paid attention to what has now been branded nuns in our culture. Nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The religiously non-affiliated or unaffiliated. And it's interesting because as they have tracked it, this is becoming more and more a crisis or an issue in our culture. In 2007, 16% of Americans designated themselves as the religiously non-affiliated or unaffiliated in our culture. By 2019, just 12 years later, 25% of Americans would call themselves nuns or non-affiliated or unaffiliated religiously. Now, the thing that's concerning, or that may not seem like a lot, but that's literally millions of people in 12 years have gone from being affiliated to some kind of Christian faith to not affiliated at all. So now we're here at this 35%, uh, 25% point, and the thing that is most telling about it is out of those millions of people, out of that 25%, 35% of those are 35 years old or younger. So the crisis is even greater with our young people, and to even raise that bar higher to be a concern is the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of that 35% said that they grew up going to church. So the vast majority of them, and then out of the, that number, the millions of people that say they're unaffiliated or have no desire, 70% of those believe that the Bible is a myth or that it is harmful. And there was something significant researchers have found that happened in 2001, 9-11. When that happened in our country, suddenly there was deep research that went into and books started to be written about the harm that faith, different forms of faith can have on the world. And the Muslim faith was the one that was targeted first, obviously. But as time has gone on in our culture, what is the greatest target has been the Christian faith. And there have been books after books and college campuses, lecture after lecture, and in high schools, lecture after lecture about how the Bible can be harmful and how religion can be harmful. And what it's done is it's sown into our young people a distaste for faith. In a nutshell, that group of people would say, we don't believe. They don't even have a specific definition as to why they don't believe, but in general, that's what it comes down to. So it, it kind of creates for us, I think, when we start to talk about faith and we start this series and really move into it, is we need to ask ourselves a question, and a question that's an important question and a hard one to ask, I think, and it's simply this. If you were asked what the final authority in the Christian life is, blank, fill it in. Don't say it out loud what you think, but you can write it down or just consider. 
See, what skeptics have done, especially since 2001, and they've master, masterfully exploited a couple of subtle flaws in the Christian faith. There's a couple of assumptions in our faith that we have held on to for a long time, but when examined more closely, because we haven't been more clear about our faith, it's troubling, especially to our young people. See, those of us that are older, for instance, when it came to the Bible, we thought it was sacred text and, and still can affirm that. And I'm not saying that it isn't, but it was almost a given to us. But our young people are growing up in a culture that that's not a given for them anymore. Skeptics have exploited, first of all, the flaw um, of the belief that pain and suffering disproves the existence of God. They have gone after this hard that because, and it started and really took off in 2001, not that that question wasn't before that, but it's really getting pounded into our young people. Pain and suffering proves there's no God, there's no existence of God. We'll talk about that a lot more later in this series. But the, the piece that I want to talk about and Claire wants to talk about for a couple of minutes, this flawed assumption, is that the Bible is the foundation of the Christian faith. This started in the Reformation. And I know right when I say that, that's something some of you are like sucking air. Did he just say that? But, but, but during the Reformation, Luther created what's called, one of his five tenets was what's called solo scriptura, the scripture alone. That scripture is the final authority for the Christian. So what the skeptics have done is they said, if we can just somehow make people question the scripture, we can destroy their faith. See, the flaw is, if you believe the Bible is the foundation of your faith, then all you have to do is easily create question, doubt, or disbelief around the scripture, and a person will walk away from their faith. In other words, as the Bible goes, so goes the Christian faith. Some people have... Uh, some believing people have connected the, the, the Scripture to uh, kind of a 66-card deck of cards that you build a house with that deck of cards, and all somebody has to do on a college campus is come along to a young person who's been told their whole life that the Bible never contradicts itself. The Bible never does it, says anything that should be questioned, and they easily go after one of those cards in the house. And if they can get that young person or even older people to question one of the cards, the house crashes down. See, all it takes is a little bit of wrong to undermine what is right. It could be argued, and I totally agree, that if, if we were the kind of people, if humans in general studied the Scripture and we wrestled over all of the basic beliefs and where the Scripture came from, that this, this conversation would be different. But the truth about humans in general, and all of us need to be honest, unless this is what we do with our life all day long. Claire and I are studying Scripture more now than ever. We have a higher regard for Scripture now more than ever. But most human beings are not spending a lot of time wrestling with different conceptual issues and theologies when it comes to Scripture. It's easy to come against most people's understanding of Scripture. And those of us that are older, if we were honest, when we were handing Scripture off to our young people and saying, here's a Bible, treat it like it's totally true, 
Maybe if we were honest, we would have said to them, we don't even know fully that it's true, but we've just never questioned it. So we don't wrestle with it. So the new wineskin is this. What's understood is maybe 99% of the people in the United States that are walking away from their faith are doing so not because of the things that are essential to having faith in Christ, but because something has had a hole poked in it. It's time to change our approach. So what is the fill in the blank? The final authority, the final authority of the Christian life, Jesus said it himself in Matthew 28. This is what Jesus said. Verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. This is after the resurrection to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and, and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what the early church did and what people who gave their life for and people throughout history that didn't have a Bible, you do know, we all know there's people even today on the earth that don't have scripture in front of them, they don't have a Bible. The reason that we have PBTs and Bruce and Tammy are going around the world trying to get scripture into people's hands is because we have high regard for the scripture, but we also understand not everybody has scripture. You do know for hundreds of years the Christian church was growing and flourishing and exploding before there was any scripture put together in a context of a Bible. The people were giving their life, so there's something about a faith in Jesus that transcends 66 books in the scripture. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, when he talks about how he's been approaching this way of doing, trying to address this issue in our culture, he says this, I'm approaching it with an approach that argues from and anchors to the event of the resurrection rather than the authority of the Bible. See, if you go and say, well, the Scripture says, but the person already doesn't even have regard for the Scripture, the conversation's already over. The multitude of people that have left the church that we're trying to get back in the church are not here because they've left because of things that aren't essential to their faith. The vast majority of them, they've left because of things like holes have been poked in their belief of what the Scripture says or how it was even written. It is not a hill worth dying on, folks. Jesus went to a hill and died. Here, let me just give you this, and I'm going to pass it over to Claire. Let me just say this. When you were born, your mother and father were given a birth certificate. But if family members came to the hospital, they didn't come and say, can we see the birth certificate? They came, hopefully, and said, I want to see that child. I want to see that with my own eyes. I want to, I want to touch that child. And that's essentially what this conversation's about, is if we can proclaim the gospel in a way that shifts us from the it is written when we're reaching into our culture, into something happened, it shifts the conversation. One author who has written a lot of stuff against 
the Protestant church, Karen Armstrong says this. She says, yet again, in acknowledging what happened before the Bible was even written, yet again, at all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with, and we still do not really understand how this came about. It's because they had seen a resurrected Christ. They had been able to hope and take joy in the fact that they could be forgiven, that they could live a life in God fully. And then we have this huge benefit of having the Scripture to encourage us and to rally us. But when you're trying to reach, young person, when you go off to college, trust me, your faith is going to be combated against, and one of the primary ways it's going to be combated against is you will have professors that will poke holes, will try to make you question, why would you ever have a faith in a, in a document that has these problems, whether they're right or wrong, and it becomes a lonely journey. Let me just say this to you. You hold on to Jesus you get a hold of a relationship with Jesus. You celebrate what the Scripture brings into your life, the encouragement that it does, the way that it helps us transform and live into the goodness of God. But don't you allow somebody to poke holes in your faith because they say God doesn't care about suffering people and God obviously can't be who he said he was because the Scripture is invalid. Whether that professor's right or wrong, people by the droves are embracing that. But let's be the kind of people that are leading people to Jesus, leading people to where Jesus wants us to lead. There was an event. There was a, there was a Savior that went to a cross, died there, and then resurrected from the dead, lives forevermore, and all authority has been given to Jesus. Well, I think we could be done and just start again next week, really, because um, here's our reality, friends. If we're reading the Bible for information and you're, you're just taking a snapshot of a scripture and arguing that out from the book of Leviticus, you're going to have trouble. If you're actually looking at ways to argue your faith by just saying the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it, rather than here is who the person of Christ is and how the the person of Christ has transformed my life. And here are the things we know to be true. And, and, here, and so we're going to give you the handles on it. One of the reasons we gave you um, a recommendation to read Pastor Andy Stanley's book is because uh, Pastor Andy Stanley is a, a Bible teacher. He loves the Bible. He's been teaching the Bible his whole life. He's the son of Charles Stanley. So this is not a person who doesn't love the Bible. But he'll give you some handles that will go beyond our little bit of 20 minutes every Sunday where you could leave this morning and say, what did Scott just say? So we want to invite you to read that book. The other thing that we will refer to is a book written by uh, Father Richard Rohr called Hidden Things and another book by Phyllis Tickle called The Emergent Church because these scholars who love the Scripture, who love Christ, actually have given ways now that, um, you know, the cat's out of the bag, that people can actually argue over the exact same scripture and come up with two different interpretations, right? Or, you know, say what kind of a God wants you to do X to your wife if she doesn't cook you dinner from the book of Leviticus? I mean, let, we could just start to put those things out there.
So what we want to do is we want to say this sacred text is to lead us to the person of Christ, not lead us away from the person of Christ. And so we love the fact that we read the Bible for transformation and not just for information. Does everybody want to say that? Because we do not want to get lost in this tit-for-tat kind of conversation around this sacred text that can lead us to Christ. The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this word mind is that word nous, which means your whole life, everyone, not just what you think. How are you living? Does it look like Christ? Does it walk like Christ? Does it speak like Christ? Does it bless like Christ? Or is it a way of living that doesn't look anything like the way Jesus Christ lived on the earth? We want to be transformed that way. We want to go over the great themes of Scripture with you guys. The themes of Scripture. Not the things that can be argued, but those things that we know we can hang our hat on. We want to talk about human history and the struggles with faith and doubt. Do you guys know the Bible is full of faith and doubt in the same human I mean, just read every single person that walked with God and their faith and their doubt. It's all in there. And it's there on purpose because God wants us to know we're not alone. There are in the scripture, there are new revelations by the Holy Spirit. And what really matters, like the big honking deal. And then the goal of this series is not to teach us just what the Bible says, but to help us grow in our own relationship with the word who is Christ. Does that sound awesome? I mean, I can't wait to find out what I don't already know or what I haven't already experienced with God. I want to read my scriptures this year with a fresh set of eyes. And so the Bible's primary themes really are who is God and who are we? Those are the Bible's primary themes. Who is God and who are we? And the development of very human characters in scripture the earthly ministry of Jesus, which everything depends on. If it doesn't look like Jesus, if it doesn't act like Jesus, if it doesn't sound like Jesus, it's not Jesus. Amen? doesn't matter if it comes from Scott, from me, from Taneka, from, you know, from anybody in this room. We can't claim Christ if it's not what Christ lived and breathed when Christ walked this earth. And then the God who is always with us before Genesis and beyond uh, revelation. We love what Richard Rohr says. He says, it takes all of the Bible to get beyond the punitiveness and the pettiness that we project onto God that we abhor or that we harbor within ourselves. So a lot of times the way we prove our little scripture texts is to, to take, you know, to like defend ourselves or to put something on God that is not God. And we want to let God be God on God's own terms and not, not our own. And so the scripture says it this way, the Apostle Paul, and we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the who? And not like just any old spirit. We're talking capital H, capital S, Holy Spirit of God, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. And this is why you can talk to some people and they're never going to hear you. Because even if you try to convince them that there are particular ways that the church is behaving right now that are not Christ-like, they're not going to hear you. Because it takes a spiritual person to interpret spiritual things. And what does that mean? 
someone who is living and moving and breathing by the Spirit and saying, am I acting like Christ right now or am I acting like the devil? Am I actually acting like Christ or am I acting like an ego-centered maniac who thinks everything I think and say is right? You guys brave enough to ask that question to somebody? So every, every 500 years, Phyllis Tickle says in her book, The Great Emergence, that the church undergoes a significant change, and she refers to these periods as rummage sales. Everybody say rummage sales, all right? And states that we are in the midst of such a period today and identifies the 500-year rummage sales. You can take a look at it. This is when the church changed all the way back to right there at the crucifixion of Christ, right? The birth of the church at Pentecost. Then if you look at 540 to 590, uh, A.D., the leadership and influence of Gregory the Great follow, following the fall of Rome and the start of the Dark Ages. Then there's a great schism between the Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholicism. And those, some of you are going to go wild with this. You're going to have fun. The others of you are glazed over right now. But all I'm saying is in 1517 was the Great Reformation. And what we realized happened there was not only did the Protestant church start, but there was a reformation within the Catholic church. And God was trying to get us to get rid of some stuff in the rummage sale. Like, stop saying that. Stop doing that. It's not helpful. Scott actually said he's going to start a new blog called That's Not Helpful. And he's going to say, you know, that, that comment from that place was just not helpful. And that comment, and so, and he's going to do it from both the Republican and the Democrat side. He's going to do it from both liberals and conservative, conservatives and say, that's not helpful. So that we can understand, friends, that we need a great reformation. We need to get rid of stuff that we've believed because it no longer serves the purpose of Christ, if it ever did like slavery and patriarchy and things like that, and we won't get into all of it. But let's just say it, right? It's time for a rummage sale. Everybody say it. Time for a rummage sale. And so we want the results of this rummage sale to be living, a living form of faith, not our dead knowledge of a scripture we don't live. We want a living faith. We want to see the organized expression of faith becoming pure and less stiff in its expression of its former self, you know? And and I want you to know, as a younger pastor, I used to say, the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. And then I started reading a little more of the Old Testament practices that I no longer wanted to be in effect for this day. And so I want to say to us, friend, faith spreads when we reform. Faith spreads when we start asking ourselves, what needs to go so that I may bring the representation of Christ on earth? So ask yourself, is it time for a rummage sale in your own faith? What are you still espousing that you believe that you're not living? And what are you uh, living that needs to go in the rummage sale? And let's just ask the Holy Spirit that. So I'm going to end it with Dr. King. If you all will stand with us, here are some of the things that Dr. King said. The Reverend Dr. King, who preached on Sundays, who loved the scripture, he said, only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. The transformed nonconformist, moreover, never yields to the passive sort of patience that is an excuse for doing 
nothing. Admitting the weighty problems and staggering disappointments, Christianity affirms that God is able to give us the power to meet them. God is able to give us the inner equilibrium to stand tall amidst the trials and burdens of life. God is able to provide inner peace in the midst of outer storms. This inner stability of the person of faith is Christ's chief legacy to his disciples. And every genuine expression of love grows out of a consistent and total surrender to God. I mean, can we just say, I surrender today? Like, I want everything that, I, that is not serving Christ to go in the rummage sale. I want to begin to understand what Christ is saying to the church right now. Billy Graham is noted to say that, that Dr. Martin Luther King was a prophet, not only to this nation, but to the world. And I wonder, who are the prophets now who are willing to say the unpopular things that actually, like, get up in people's grill and make them wonder if they're walking in love? I want to ask you to pray in secret places during this series. Find a car. Find a closet. Go somewhere by yourself. Go inside and say, God, what do I need to give up in order to live in, in the way that you've called me. I want to I pray in that secret place. I want you to remember the first words you prayed. Like the one we don't have to get rid of was our first prayer when we gave our lives to Christ. It was the word help. We can still pray that prayer all the time, help. But what prayers no longer serve you? Do you tell God what to do in prayer or are we listening to what the Spirit might say? And then there's prayers beyond words. Think back over your life and remember a time without words. You found yourself in God's presence. And let's connect the scripture with the presence of Christ. And not old forms of thinking that are dividing us further. That are making us look at one another like we're the enemy. Or that we're the right ones. If we could actually find ways to listen to the Spirit of Christ through the Scripture and through the presence of Christ among us, we're going to see a revival, we're going to see a reformation, and everything that should go in the rummage sale is going. So let's pray together. Let's pray the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from every evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. We hope you'll stay with us through the whole series and discover a new way to know Christ. In the secret, in the quiet place, in the stillness you are there. In the secret, in the quiet hour, Cause I want to, I want to know you more.